Amen. Well, why don't we uh, bow in prayer and just ask God to open his word to us this morning. Father, we come before you today and we are so grateful that we have your word as an anchor to our soul, that we can go there and look for encouragement and strength and, and uh, the promises of your blessings. And so, Father, we pray that today as we open your word that you would again remind us of your power, of you being our God right in the midst of our desert, desert wanderings. Lord, may you be that Jehovah Rapha for us. For we ask, uh, Lord, I pray that you would anoint me as I speak. Lord, may I speak your word in power and in truth. And we pray, Lord, that you would allow us to hear your voice this morning. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you ever feel like COVID-19 has put us on an emotional roller coaster? I mean, when we first hear about this thing where it's like, oh, something going on the other side of the world, it's not that big a deal. We're a little concerning, a little bit of fear maybe. But then by March 11th last year, World Health Organization says, it's a pandemic. And within a week, our city streets are bare and like it's weird. I'm, I remember driving down Montreal Street thinking, oh, this is creepy. And, and the street is empty. And suddenly a deer comes bounding down the street. And I'm like, whoa, that's dramatic. Schools and churches close. And we all go into self-protection mode. But after a few weeks, summer arrives. uh, And we hear some news that the heat can kind of slow down the virus. And we start thinking, oh, maybe this is optimistic. And we start feeling like, oh, maybe this is going to be okay. Maybe it'll just blow over in a few months. And the stores open again. And it just seems uh, a little more normal. And after about uh, four to five months of alienating ourselves for one, from one another, however, the, the emotional toll starts kicking in. But then in November, they announce, oh, the vaccines are ready. And they start vaccinating people. And we're like, woohoo, we're going to be saved by the vaccines, you know. And we're all ready to put that dreadful year of 2020 behind us and move on into a pandemic-free year. Uh, not so fast. The dreaded second wave hits. Infections soar, death tolls climb, and boom, we're in a lockdown again. And all of January spent just looking at our navels, you know. <laughs> it's, it's just like the, wor- the most depressing month of the year just got ten times worse. Uh, but the lockdown's lifted, and we're like, oh, okay, maybe it's going to be okay. It wasn't so bad, just five weeks. We'll make it, and we're back to the new normal, you know. Uh, and some hope that all oh, the vaccines will kick in and we'll all be, you know, sort of doing well. No, nope. third wave hits. Cases get worse than ever before. Uh, again, we're finding ourselves in a lockdown. Uh, you know what? I'm kind of tired of this. <laughs> I'm really tired of this. And you're all like, yeah, yeah, Pastor, we know. We're living it too. Uh, you don't need to rub it in, you know. But my point is in all of this is that we're a lot like the children of Israel when they left Egypt. I mean, they're on an emotional roller coaster just like we are. Uh, you remember a couple of weeks ago I, was, I made the case that, uh, that Israel leaving, Israel leaving Egypt is allegorically describing the Christians leaving their bondage to sin through faith in Christ. And that the desert wanderings are allegorically represent the Christian life. And the promised land is an allegorical representation of heaven. And so 
we see that ourselves in the story of the Exodus. And so we can see ourselves in the emotional roller coaster that the, that the Israelites were experiencing as well. They watched as God rained down in awe, or I'm sorry, they watched in awe as God rained down plague after plague upon the Egyptians, climaxing with the death of the firstborn and the Passover. And then the euphoria finally being free. They weren't slaves anymore. The king of Egypt was letting them go. This is fantastic. And they were so excited about what God had done and all the great things. And they're leaving. They're packing all their stuff. And they're hauling all their kids out to the desert. And they're, they're out there. And they're just like, this is amazing. And then they're like, they're not quite sure where to go. And all of a sudden they hear the chariots of Egypt chasing them down. And they're like, Oh no! And they're packing, they're panicking, like, what are we gonna do? And the, the chariots are coming down towards them, and God separates them. And they start freaking out, and they're calling out to Moses, wouldn't it be better if left us in Egypt? No, we're just gonna all be slaughtered here in the desert. And of course, God has a plan. They're stuck, there's the ocean before them, there's, there's hills on either side, there's no way they can outrun chariots. But God rescues them. In the middle of their despair, in the middle of all of the panic, God makes a way through the sea. And they escape. And then the Egyptians are drowned forever. And then, well, euphoria breaks out. There's dancing, timbrel playing, uh, tambourines. Ladies are dancing around. And everybody's singing hallelujah to God. It's so amazing. God's saved them. Um, And then... That brings us right up to our passage today in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. And we see they're praising God, and then in verse 22, it just turns into a time of protest. (laughs) And in verse 23, we read that Moses led them into the desert of Sur. Now, Sur means wall. Don't you feel like you're hitting a wall? (laughs) I think the Israelites felt like they were hitting a wall, you know? Uh... They were just running into this wall of despair instead of a window of blessing like they thought it was going to be. You know, we're going to walk through the sea. It's going to be a window of blessing. They just boom into a wall of despair. And I don't know about you, but I can relate. And I got this feeling that we're all kind of hitting the emotional wall right about now. It doesn't take long for the euphoria of the Red Sea crossing to dissipate. There, the next verse says, they're wandering in the desert for three days without finding water. Now, you might go like, well, three days, that's not so bad. But if you've ever been in the desert without water, it's brutal. I've never been in the desert without water. I remember the last time I was in the desert, I was in Burkina Faso. And I drank two liters of water per hour. <laughs> like, I was just drinking constantly because it was 40 degrees out. I was dying. And, and it was just hot. I just drank, drank, drank. I can't imagine what it would be like to be out there in a desert and not have anything to drink. That'd be terrifying, really. And every time you go look for our water hole, it's empty. And it's just like, well, what are we going to do? And so finally, the people, they get to this place called Mera. 
and they must have seen some palm trees or some bushes in the distance and some people go running over there to check it out you know like is this is this our water is this going to be the the place and hallelujah we found some water yes there's some water in the and the people sprint ahead and you can imagine them them just dropping to their knees and scooping up some water and whoa oh that's awful it was bitter. It was horrible stuff. He's just like, ah, we can't drink that. Can you imagine the disappointment? You've been looking for water for three days, and then the water you finally find, you can't drink. It's awful. It's bitter. Talk about disappointments. So they turn on their leader. They just, what are we to drink, Moses? You bring us out here in the desert to die. It's like a resounding uh, theme of theirs, you know? Should have left us in Egypt. We had the Nile River. We could drink all we want. But you know what? I see this every day here in Canada. What do we hear? Oh, Doug Ford's doing a terrible job of running this thing. You know, like, he's locking down everything way too often. Other people are like, no, no, he's not locking down early enough. He's responsible for hundreds of deaths. Oh, which one is it? The poor guy's getting yanked around. It seems like everybody's an expert on this thing, uh, except for the people leading us, of course. I've never heard so much grumbling. Hmm seem to have a lot in common with these Israelites. Have we forgotten that God's got the whole world in his hand? In the heat of the moment, the Israelites forgot how they had been delivered through the sea. I mean, can you imagine forgetting that in three days? But have we forgotten that God's got the whole world in his hands? Have we forgotten that Jesus Christ died on a cross for us? We're more precious to him than anything. Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? (laughs) I love that verse. I mean, it's just like, God can't forget who we are. We're his kids. He loves us. And you think that if he actually... You know, sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, that he's going to go, oh, now they're in a pandemic. Oh, well, I guess I'll leave them to their own devices, poor people. (laughs) No, I don't think so. It's easy for us when we're out in the middle of the desert to think that God doesn't care, or God's not looking, or my problems are bigger than the next guy's problems, and, you know, complain about our leaders or whatever. We've gone from high expectations to just disappointment, to heavy discouragement. And I want you to notice that bitterness can blind us to the promises of God. They had forgotten how bad it was in Egypt. You know, they ate bitter herbs uh, when they left Egypt to remind them how bitter it was. And now they get to this bitter water and they're like, oh, I want to go back to Egypt. What? You've got to be kidding me. Uh, But now... Freedom from Egypt has left them feeling bitter because their expectations of what freedom would be like get shattered. It's not quite as, you know, uh, glorious as they thought it was going to be. Desert life really isn't that much fun because they're thirsty. Moses does what he should do. Moses cries out to God. 
And this is what the Bible tells us to do when we are feeling despair, when we're feeling discouraged, to cry out to God. And, and so instead of protesting, Moses prays. And God answers Moses immediately. And God goes, oh, well, there's a stick over here. Toss that in the water and it'll all get better. Moses grabs the stick, flings it in the water. Sure enough, the water becomes sweet. Rescue. God comes to the aid of the Israelites. First, he freed them. Then he rescued them at the Red Sea. Then, now he heals the water. And so now he declares himself. He says something about who he is that he hasn't said before, previous to this moment. God says this. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. You remember that God revealed himself as the great I am to Moses. Remember the, the burning bush. Moses says, well, who are you? And he says, well, I am that I am. It's kind of a weird answer. But here again, God is revealing himself. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha means the Lord, our healer. And so in the midst of their bitterness and hurt, God rescues them. God comes to them and he declares who he is. You know, God has declared who he is to us. If you look up the word Rapha throughout the New Old Testament, it's a Hebrew word, it, it's there about 60 times. It's not always about healing. It's usually about healing. But sometimes it's about rebuilding something that was broken. When Elijah repairs the, uh, the altar of Jehovah, it says that he Rapha the altar. So Rapha means to restore back to the way it was. Uh, when Elijah is told that there's some bitter water, what is, God tells him to throw some salt in the water. And it says that the water was rapha. It was healed. It was restored. And so God rapha, raphas the water. It means that he heals the water. The Israelites are just beginning to understand who God really is. That he is going to look after them. But we, we live, you know, 4,000 years later. And we have all of the rest of the Old Testament and all of the rest of the New Testament to describe to us who God really is. And we have many names for God. But Jehovah, our healer, is one of the names that keeps coming up. And we recognize that name. And we, we, when we as we look through the New Testament, we start to realize that Jesus is our... Um, is the fulfillment of the promises that were in the Old Testament. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our sanctifier. Jesus is our coming king. And so the the founder of the Alliance, A.B. Simpson, he he said that uh, these four things describe Jesus as someone who supplies all of our needs, no matter what's going on in our life. Jesus supplies all of our needs. <clears throat> so Jesus brings healing and wholeness to everything. He will rapha your spirit. In other words, what happened in the fall when our spirits died, Jesus will heal that. 
Jesus came to raffa your soul. In other words, he's going to sanctify you. He's going to make you more and more pure. And Jesus came to raffa your body. He's going to heal you and give you life. And Jesus came to raffa your future. He's going to heal your future. He's going to restore your future to a beautiful time when he's coming as Lord and King. And so Jesus brings wholeness and, and wellness to our whole being, not just our souls. It's not just our souls that Jesus saves on the cross. It's our whole being. And it's right in the middle of our wilderness wanderings that Jesus takes over. So when God says to the children of Israel in verse 26, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. We can accept that as testimony to us. We know that this is true in Jesus Christ. God is the one who heals us. We can apply this to the people of God today. Does this mean that none of the diseases that you can expect when you weren't a Christian will ever come on you? Maybe. We're going to look into that a little more Um, Because verses like this have intrigued me for as long as a a very long time. You see, I've been both intrigued and confused and excited and fascinated by the theology of healing for many years. It's been on my mind. I've looked in the Bible. I've compared it to my life and the people around me. It doesn't always line up. I remember when I was just a little kid, uh, my parents told me about a lady who was healed from cancer. And we're just like, yay, praise God. A year later, she had cancer again. And my dad said, well, she didn't stop smoking. And it it left an impression on me like, oh, that's kind of interesting. God only heals us for a certain time, but if we mess up, he's going to stop. I don't know if that's true or not even to today. I still have questions. Then when my sister was 10 or 12, she got really sick. And instead of taking her to the doctor or to the hospital, my parents just prayed for her because they were, they were just starting to get involved in the charismatic movement and they heard that, no, you don't need to rely on medication. You should just pray. And so they just prayed. And my sister almost died that day. But God's healing came powerfully, suddenly. I'm not saying that's what we need to do. I'm saying that this is part of my experience of having doctrine thrown at me through experience and going, wow, what do we do with this? Is that what we're supposed to do? Just ignore doctors and just pray and get healed? I don't know. Uh, And then there's my good friend Flo Reimer in Bible college. She was paralyzed uh, from the waist down. She was in a wheelchair. And we were in a restaurant one time uh, eating... uh, all my friends from Bible college and these folks came from the Pentecostal church and they, they came over and we got talking with them. And then they said, well, what about your friend here? Does she want to get healed? And she's like, oh yeah, I'd like to be healed. And they said, well, lady, we're just going to pray for you and then you'll stand up and you'll be able to walk. And they prayed for her and they said, okay, now get up out of your chair. And she's like, I can't move. And they're like, oh, come on, you can do it. You, we have faith, sister. And she's like, I can't move. And they're like, oh, well, you obviously don't have any faith. If you would have faith, you would get out of that chair. And I'm like, give me a break. 
Who are you to challenge Flo Reimer that she has no faith? I know Flo. She's an incredible lady. She became a she's she's paralyzed. She became a missionary to the West Coast Indians in BC, and did a fantastic job. She has more faith than most people I know. Don't go telling me she doesn't have enough faith to be healed. And so these these things set me off on this journey. What is my theology of healing and and when i became a pastor oh my goodness i mean people want to know about this thing uh before it was just a curiosity you know i was curious how does this work out in practical life healing and stuff but eventually it became like i need to know this as a pastor because hundreds literally hundreds of people have come to me for prayer for healing physical healing is God Jehovah Rapha or not? Is God Jehovah Rapha for me? That's what they want to know. You know, most of the people that come to me for prayer, for healing, they all believe that God heals today. There's no question. Oh, yeah, God heals. I heard about this person being healed, that person. But what I want to know is, is God going to heal me? This is the question that people ask me. Will God heal me? And I'm like, How do I answer that? Will God heal me? (laughs) And so in this journey, I could tell you all about the people who were healed. You know, I remember this time, this one guy, I was at a prayer conference. He came running over me, gave me a big hug. And he goes, Bill, it's great to see you. Look at my arm. I can do this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm, I, I got this confused look at me on my face. I'm looking at him like, what? And he's like, don't you remember? You prayed for me last time we met. And God healed me and I can raise my arm now. I'm just like, I don't really remember that, but praise God. You know, and I'm excited. And, and I could tell you about Mary Jane Duquette, who had some leukemia type disease that her doctor found in her. And then... She was prayed over, and people prayed for her, and then it went away. And her doctor's like, "Well, we must have had the wrong test or something," you know. And she's like, "No, no, no, God healed me." I could tell you about amazing recoveries, left, right, and center. I could tell you about Faisal. You know, he has the dreaded incurable AIDS. Yet today, he has no sign of AIDS, according to his uh, doctor's report. And he he just he says, "I take communion, and it just heals me." I'm like. Okay, I don't know. And I could go on and on and on, but very exciting stuff. I mean, I could talk about my own cracked rib that was healed at someone's, as someone prayed for me, or about my headaches leaving as someone prayed for me. And I could go on and on and on. But you know what? It's not really the whole story if I just told you those things and those stories. And I could tell you story after story. But that's not entirely the whole story. Because... Some of the people that I pray for, some of the people that we anoint with oil, and the elders gather around and we pray, they don't get healed. So I'm like, well, what is it? Does God heal or does God not heal? Is is it like winning the lottery? You know, like, oh, apparently today God wants to heal this person, but not that person. I'm like, what? I don't really understand. And so today we need a theology of healing. We really need to know. Uh, We're in desperate need of a a holistic theology of healing. 
It's very easy to, to, to focus on one side of the healing equation, you know, like either God heals everybody or God heals nobody. But that's not, neither one of those ditches are correct. Uh, a lot of times when people talk about a, a subject like healing or other, they load up their guns with all of the verses that say one thing. You know, either God heals or God doesn't heal or whatever. But really, we need to have a holistic view. Take all of scriptures into, uh, into the picture. And, and the theology of healing can't be some pie-in-the-sky thing. It's got to relate to right here, right now. You know, when you pray for people, do they get healed or not? It can't be, you know, like, oh, well, we believe, but, you know, in practice, mm, not so much. What's it going to be? It's like we're on a fence. Uh, so this morning, I'm going to start by pointing out that a holistic theology on divine healing recognizes that not all Christians who have faith are healed all the time. It's just not true. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it's not even God's will that everyone be healed from every disease. We're just not all healed. We live in a fallen world, and even though Christ has won the victory over sin and death, this world and all that is in it is still subject to destruction. And Paul says, creation was subjected to frustration. Well, when did that happen? Well, that happened at the, um, at the fall. <clears throat> well, this happened when, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned. It was bondage to decay. That's what Paul says. It's, it's in bondage to decay. So ever since Adam and Eve sinned, all of creation is falling apart. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. That's what Paul says. This whole world is under a curse, and it's falling apart. And in fact, later on in this passage, Paul explains that we go through sufferings in this world while we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are going to be redeemed sometime. Right now, they're not. They're not fully redeemed. They're not going to be fully redeemed. And he talks about the fact that our current sufferings that we go through, and I'm sure he includes illnesses in them. He, his own illness was driving him crazy. Uh, he says they're not worth comparing with the riches that will be revo- uh, revealed in us. And so he's just saying, like, you know, it, it's, uh, we suffer now. It's not worth comparing what's going to happen to us. And so it's clear that our bodies, our actual physical bodies, are part of this cursed world. When Adam and Eve sinned, it says that death came into the world. And death has ruled ever since. Everybody dies. Well, except for Jesus. Well, Jesus died too, but he was raised again. There's a few other people that didn't die. But by and large, we all die uh, because we're under a curse. God has no intention of healing us over and over and over, so the effects of this frustrated creation uh, will be lost. These decaying body bodies will end. They won't go on forever. In fact, God forbid that these decaying bodies go on forever. God's quite adamant that after the fall, that people would not live on earth forever. Uh, he says, you know, like, 
like at the fall, he says, let's make sure that they don't eat from the tree of the, of the knowledge or the tree of life so that they won't live forever in this terrible state they're in, the state of sin. So when we consider this, we consider life and death, only 5% of all death comes from an accident, okay? People dying in a plane crash, uh, dying in a car crash, uh, you know, falling off a roof, I don't know, whatever. 5% of all deaths, 1% of all deaths are self-inflicted suicides. That leaves 94% of all deaths are caused by, guess what? Illness. These bodies aren't designed, or they were designed to last forever, but because of sin, they don't. Uh, And so 94% of the time, people die of disease. So clearly, God didn't intend to heal every illness and keep us alive forever and ever. It wasn't his plan. A.B. Simpson himself taught a very strong, have faith and you will be healed message. He himself was healed a number of times. And through his ministry, thousands were healed. But his later years, he really struggled with the fact that God didn't heal him. And as he was dying, he was like really frustrated. He was like, how come God's not healing me? And I'm just like, well, I think it's because God put a moratorium on our life. (laughs) We only last so long. So now we look in the New Testament. And we read many times that Jesus healed everyone. But not all of the faithful were healed. Take the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul had this extraordinary gift. He would pray over handkerchiefs. And then he would send them out. And people would get healed when they touched the handkerchief that Paul had prayed for. Amazing. So when Timothy, his partner in ministry, is having these stomach problems all the time, what does Paul do? Does he send him a handkerchief? No, he doesn't. He says, Timothy, you should take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Why wasn't Timothy healed? We don't really know. But Paul himself said, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient to you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul didn't even get healed all the time. Um, And so Paul has this crazy healing ministry, but he's not healed. Then there's this other aspect uh, that God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So don't let it terrorize you that you weren't healed. God called Paul to endure as patient. God is glorified in some people's illness. Take Johnny Erickson Tata, for instance. She uh, broke her neck in a diving accident. But her whole life is a testimony to God's grace. And so many people have found power to live in difficult circumstances through her testimonies. She says that the Bible does not teach that he will heal, always heal those who come to him in faith. He sovereignly reserves the right to heal or not to heal as he sees fit. <clears throat> uh, Tim Hansel says, I've prayed hundreds of times to be healed, maybe thousands. But finally, the Lord has healed me from the need to be healed. (laughs) I love that statement. Healed from the need to be healed. Uh, So we have to realize that that, uh, God calls us to have faith in healing, 
but that not all of us are going to be healed. Uh, I know a, a pastor who, who prayed for someone for healing for cancer, uh, and then the woman called him back and said, "Hey, my my husband, you know, my, my husband died." And the pastor's all like, "Oh no, you know, prayers weren't answered." And he says, "Oh no, your prayers were answered." He lived for three days, and he had been so depressed and so frustrated with God, so angry with God for uh, a long time now with this cancer. But in the last three days, he gave it all over to God, and and God changed his spirit. We had the best three days of our life, uh, and at the end of it all, uh, she said he wasn't uh, cured, but he was healed. Right? So we need to move on to this concept in the Bible that is everywhere in the Bible, and that is an expectation of healing. There's this expectation that we ought to be healed. Now, these two caveats, you know, like not everybody's healed, and sometimes God calls us to be uh, to persevere in in the difficulties but when we read through the, the new testament this is by far not the main message the main message throughout the new testament actually throughout the bible is that we will be healed that god wants to heal us uh in in jesus earthly ministry is filled with healings oftentimes he it says that everybody was healed over and over again um and Jesus said in John uh, 14, 12, that his followers would do more, uh, do, do more than Jesus did. Greater things. Have you seen greater miracles than what Jesus did? When I look through the Bible, I go like, whoa, no, I haven't seen that. But Jesus said, actually, that will happen. And it says in Mark 16, and these signs will accompany those who believe. And in my name, they will drive out demons. And they will speak in new tongues. And they will pick up snakes with their hands. And they will drink deadly poison. And it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people. And they will get well. Wow. Either Jesus got it wrong. Or there's a lot of people who are not true believers today. But don't tell me that the Bible doesn't expect us to be healed. The Bible expects us to be healed. In the New Testament, there's 31 times where Jesus, the story is told of Jesus healing someone. I'd love to go through all those stories today, but we don't have all day. Uh, there's three people that are raised from the dead. 11 times it says that everybody was healed. I mean, that's a healing ministry. Goodness gracious. And we only find two non-healings, Timothy and Paul. The main emphasis of the Bible is that healing is available. God is Jehovah Rapha. Um, Now, there are times, there's one other instance when people were were not healed. It says, when they had no faith, it says that even Jesus could not heal when there was no faith. Hmm. Pretty important to remember. Faith is pivotal. We need faith. And so that brings us to today's passage, you know. Uh, that the Lord says that he's not going to bring on you, that's the Israelites, any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Clearly, God's making the distinction between his people and the other people. And God's promise for healing, though conditional, is 
conditional on the obedience is for his people, not for the Egyptians. You know, it says he's not going to give the diseases the Egyptians had to his people. His people are special. In chapter 23, uh, verse 25, we read that worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on you, your food and water. And I will take away sickness from among you, the Lord says. And none of you will miscarry or be barren in your land. And I will give you a full lifespan. Wow, those are amazing promises. Deuteronomy 7, verse 15. And you'll be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless. Nor will any of your livestock will be without young. The blessing actually goes to their livestock. And the Lord will keep you free from every disease. And he will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt. But he will afflict them on those who hate you. Whoa. These are Old Testament promises. And now that the Messiah has come, surely we have a greater uh, access to these promises of, of health and wholeness. And then when we go to the New Testament, we, we see this is clearly uh, shown. Uh, there's this Canaanite woman. She comes to Jesus. She says, Jesus, can you please heal my daughter? And Jesus is like, uh, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, you're Canaanite, and my mission is to God's people. You're not part of God's people. Ooh, that's pretty harsh. Uh, and, but she says, oh, but please help me. Help my daughter. And Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. Probably the most troubling statement that Jesus has ever uttered. I was, I've always been like, oh my goodness, that wasn't uh, very nice. <laughs> and yet, there's some theology in what he's saying here that's profound and powerful. He's basically saying, look, there's this thing called the children's bread. Who are the children? The children are the people of Israel. And it's their right to have their own bread. The father of the children, presumably, gives the children their bread. If you ask any of my kids, uh, you know, do you get fed at home? Yeah. Why do you get fed at home? Well, I guess our parents love us. Yeah. It's sort of normal for the children to have bread. And so when Jesus shares this analogy, he's saying the people of Israel can expect to be healed. But you can't expect to be healed because you're not part of Israel. And the woman says, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the bread of the children's table. Oh, Jesus sees genuine faith. She's persistent. She keeps asking. Even though he's put two obstacles in the way, she keeps asking. And Jesus says, for this answer, your daughter's healed. Oh. But do you get it? God's people are special in his eyes. And they have a right. They have a a first choice of the children's bread. It belongs to them. They can find healing in God. James chapter 5 verse 14 says, Is any of you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Awesome. (laughs) And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is is powerful 
and effective. Uh, I don't know if we have this next slide. I got the wrong slide, sorry. Many of the slides are missing today and the people at the back are doing the best. But uh, look at this slide. It's got prayer offering and faith will make the sick person, not maybe, might, hopefully. The Lord will raise them up. This is pretty definitive. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven so that you might be healed. And of course, it's talking about effective prayer. This is a, don't, don't read this and, and tell me that the Bible doesn't expect believers to be healed. There's a huge expectation for people to be healed. And, and I've preached a sermon on what the prayer of faith is, and you'll have to listen to that some other time, sorry. But it's the prayer of knowing what, what God wants in the situation and then praying with absolute confidence that God will do that. Um, and then we could talk about the, the healing is found in the atonement for hours, and I'm already over time, so I'm not going to do that. But when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for your soul to go to heaven. He died for your whole being. Someday your body is going to be resurrected. That's why Jesus died. And so we can participate in these future glories now during the church age. And we can participate in the healing of the body now. Um, The Bible teaches that Jesus purchased our entire being, the whole enchilada, all of us. Um, And so I know and believe that healings should be normal. Why aren't they? I don't know. I don't know why not everyone is healed or 99% of the people are healed. That's what the Bible seems to indicate. But I want to tell you this. Paul didn't base his idea on healings about himself. His own personal experience of non-healing. He wasn't healed. He talks about himself not being healed quite a bit. He doesn't say one word about his handkerchief ministry. He doesn't say anything You know, even when he's talking about all the things that God has done through him, he doesn't mention how many people have been healed through him. But other writers, Luke in particular, writes the fact that he had this amazing healing ministry through handkerchiefs. So we know that Paul, even though he didn't receive healing, he still knew that God was a healing God. He knew. And so I believe we can have both a doctrine of perseverance through trial and difficulty and sickness. And right beside it, we can have doctrine of God divinely healing us through his power. And so I'm going to end our time today with this amazing testimony, one testimony from Patty. Uh, she shared this at our church three years ago. And I just think it, I just want to refresh your memory about this amazing thing that God did in her life. I'm here to share my testimony of healing. What happened was, in uh, mid-October, I found a large lump in my left breast. That was about the size of a lime, which is about this big. So it scared me so badly. I thought it was probably the last stage of a cancer. Then I went to the emergency at the, at the Montford Hospital. The doctor did physical exam. A few days later, I had an ultrasound for that lump. But the image wasn't clear enough. 
so the doctor didn't know what's inside. That lump was still large and hard. Anyway, he said he wanted a mammogram and a repeat ultrasound. But I need to wait for a call to get an appointment in two weeks. I said, ah, that's too long to wait. And that worried me even more. I went um, back home with um, negative emotions. I was full of fears. I cried because of it. However, I kept on praying and asking Jesus for a miracle of healing. On the next day, my husband, Cammy, could you stand up, please, Cammy? <laughs> okay. Don't uh, don't be shocked if he looks just like Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> But the Chinese version and the younger version. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Cammy called me from work. He said, Hi, honey. Pastor Bill asked if you would like him to pray for you at our house this evening. With his uh, charming voice, right? <laughs> and then I said with my beautiful voice, Oh, that's very nice of him. Um, but I would rather seeing him at the church. Then Cammy said, All right, let me call and ask him. And later on, Cammy called me back. And he said, All right, honey, Pastor B said, Okay. <laughs> yeah, and um, in that evening, we both went to this church. We went um, in the prayer room. We met Pastor Bill, Peter, and another Peter. Actually, the two handsome Peters, okay? Yeah, and um, before they all, they all prayed for me. Pastor Bill asked me, Patty, do you believe in miracle healing by Jesus? And I said, yes, absolutely, I do. Then he said, Amen. And he anointed me um, with uh, the oil on my forehead. After that, they all prayed for me. And I felt so blessed in that evening. The day after, I woke up and I checked on that lump. Guess what? It got smaller. Hallelujah. Yeah, and the, the next day, it became even more smaller. And um, I, I, I can say it, it, it shrunk about 20% each day. And you know what? It has almost disappeared in five days. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and I, I, I said a big thank to God. Praise the Lord. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Thank you. On the next day, uh, oh no, uh, on November the 1st, I had to go back 
to um, the Hmong First Hospital for my mammogram and another ultrasound. A few days later, I received a call from my family doctor. He told me that I got negative mammogram and ultrasound results. That meant there is no sign of cancer. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, um, so I, I thought I, I received a, a miracle of healing from Jesus. I said thanks to him for so many times. And you know what? Finally, no biopsy, no treatment, and no medication. Cool, eh? Yeah. In the end, I am most thankful to God for his grace and unconditional love. From what happened to me, it made me more strengthened by faith in Jesus Christ. 